And we are live for a special double dose helping of Renters Radio because it's Rent Control Week, folks. It's the new year and we have new things on the agenda. I'm sitting here today on a special edition, Wednesday night edition of Renters Radio with my co-host. Woo! Evan George. Hello, hello. Rent and, Control uh, Week. I like that. that rent Control good. Week. That's that's what it is. And we are sitting here with newly elected Cambridge City Council, Jeevan Sobrani Wheeler. How are you feeling? Good. Very good. Thank you for coming in. Um, we have a lot to talk about, and I appreciate you coming in today. Um, we saw you at the rally yesterday. Um, what what do we got on the agenda? How are we starting this? I got so many Quite questions to ask. Because I'm sure we could spend, you know, um, we know you have to go. So we could definitely spend just the 20, 25 minutes on the rally yesterday in Mike Connolly's bill. But we really want to talk about Cambridge. So yeah. newly elected. They just announced the like, committee seats and the chairs. Tell us what do you want? How can we use that to help build influence in Cambridge? Absolutely, yes. I'm one of nine uh, Cambridge city councillors. I'm the only one who have never been a homeowner, the youngest city councillor in Cambridge. Um, I'm going to be chair of the Transportation and Public Utilities Committee and co-chair, uh, along with Denise Simmons, of the uh, Housing Committee in Cambridge. Big priorities for me, so I'm pretty excited about that. That's awesome. Tra so transportation and housing, those were like the two big one-two issues for your campaign. Not a spoiler alert to anyone, uh, DSA, I'm sorry, yeah, DSA backed uh, Jeevan. I knocked plenty of doors for him. So I know that those are your two strengths. So the fact that you were allowed on those committees is incredible. What do you want to talk about first, housing or transportation? Uh, I'm down to talk about housing, especially with the bills that yeah, just came up yesterday. All right. Um, what is the housing situation looking like in Cambridge? In Cambridge, the median uh, rent for a one-bedroom apartment is $2,300 a month. That's doubled in the past 15 years, along with the price of a uh, to buy. It's gone to uh, $420,000. It's gotten to the point where it's completely out of the range for most folks. Um, and, and in Cambridge, two-thirds of uh, residents are renters. Uh, but we had hardly any on the city council. And that's why we don't have rent control. That's why we don't have tenant right to purchase. That's why we don't have a real estate transfer fee. Um, there's a lot that's sort of out of the Cambridge's hands right now. There's a statewide ban on rent control, which I'm sure we'll talk about with the bills. Um, but there's a lot more we can be doing as well to have more affordable housing, to have more protections for tenants, to have an office of housing stability. Those are the kinds of things that we're going to be fighting for. Can you go into that a little bit more? Because, you know, people watching the show, everyone here, like we're familiar with what's going on at the state level, even though we're definitely going to talk about it. But not enough people, myself included, know what can be done at the local level without having to go through a home rule petition and the hellscape that is the state house. So what can Cambridge do? What can the Cambridge City Council do to help alleviate some of this burden, even though, again, we all know a lot of this is federal housing policy and state housing policy. Absolutely. The uh, big thing. First thing is you're putting pressure on the state and passing home rule petitions for things like a transfer fee uh, or rent control um, so that the state can't ignore it and say no, but no one is asking for that. Um, uh, there's a lot of things that sort of anything that changes the, the economic relationship is often uh, sort of regulated by state policy. But there are things, Somerville just passed this um, uh, uh, Tenancy Notification Act that would require landlords to let tenants know if they're you know being evicted all of their rights. Um, there are things like that, and then there are uh, Cambridge has a, and cities throughout Massachusetts have a lot of power on zoning. There's uh, I live in a triple decker apartment in Cambridge, like a lot of folks in Somerville, like a lot of folks in Boston. My apartment is illegal to build in large parts of the city still because it's zoned only for detached single family homes, and a you know detached single family home in a place like Cambridge goes for at least two three million dollars, right? So it's illegal for me to live in parts of the um, If you go back a few decades, there used to be redlining that uh, explicitly keep 
people of color out of certain parts of the city. We don't have that anymore. But if the only thing you can build are single family homes in uh, parts of Cambridge, parts of Boston, uh, that's effectively redlining, right? And pe uh, people of color, where you know the average wealth is, is eight dollars in uh, the black community, for example, if you can't afford to buy a home in a certain neighborhood, it's basically the same thing as redlining. We can do a lot that a lot about that uh, without uh, on our own without approval from the state as well. <coughs> And so you would be able to change some of like the ordinances around zoning just at the city level without going through a home rule petition? Yeah, something like 15, 20% uh, of Cambridge's land right now is exclusively zoned for uh, single family only homes, this is especially sort of in the western uh, parts of Cambridge, like Rattle Street, areas around that. Um, we can change that. Uh, we can do that in the next term, and I hope we will. And you're not talking about changing laws, you're talking about changing zoning. Yeah, zoning is yeah it's on the books on the laws, but it, it uh, affects what you can uh, build and what you can't build in uh, parts of the city. And actually, so something about uh, building the cities, and now we're getting a little bit more to state uh, politics. But you know, Charlie Baker has been trying to push through this bill that'll just make it easier for different communities throughout Massachusetts to approve. Um, new development. Mm -hmm. So going from a two-thirds to a half-and-half. Half. I've been critical of that because without other protections like rent control, it's going to be more in local cities' interest to build luxury housing to mm -hmm. surround taxing. I'm just very curious, what are your thoughts on that housing bill? Yeah, it's been super interesting to see and to, um, just to see what the legislature will and what accept too. I think everybody knows we need more housing in you know, uh, uh, parts of Cambridge, Boston, etc. But the reason this was able to go through was because it had uh, the support of the real estate industry, support of developers, and they weren't willing to accept any tenant protections. It's part of this package, too. We had representatives uh, like Mike Connolly saying, Let's, I'm down to see this. Uh, right now, you need a supermajority. You need two-thirds of city councils to approve any change to zoning. That Folks like Mike Connolly were saying, sure, let's take it down to a majority, but let's have tenant protections go along with that, right? Let's have more housing, but let's also uh, ensure that people who've lived in these communities that have built communities there can continue to live there along with adding more housing. Um, no, same exact read as me. That's why we endorsed you. Good job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was, uh, I think I told you this earlier, but I was playing around in my head with like, what can I ask him? That would be like a fun gotcha, but now you're too good on this. So yeah, I'm sure they're, they're, so. yeah that was one of the things he ran on was tenants protections uh, because you're a renter and everything. Yeah, so. I have three roommates. I think I'm the only city councilor in Cambridge uh, with roommates, but that's, I mean, for so many of us, that's the, the typical, right? And it's not just a problem at the city level, but of course state and national politics as well, but just having representation of the kinds of people that live in the city uh, in the government, there's just all these structural problems that make it hard, but that's all. Let's actually, let's go into rent control. Let's go in a little bit of the rally yesterday. So the first people to speak at the public hearing were basically pro-landlords. They were from some sort of a group that was advocating that rent control is bad. I think one of the first things we heard oh, was, man. I was trying to text them out, but this woman was speaking so Trinity much. Trinity um, Was well, I think the direct line was, economists agree <laughs> rent control is bad for keeping rents stable. So you just cited that fifteen that in the last fifteen years rents have doubled once we've gotten rid of rent control. So automatically, what that they just said was false. But just speaking for Cambridge, why do you feel rent control will help the people of Cambridge? Yeah, definitely. I think you see a lot of studies, and by the way, there are plenty of economists that support rent control. Uh, if you look at groups like Tenants Together in Massachusetts, they have a lot of studies from folks, uh, economists, looking at the benefits of rent control. But you see all these studies 
uh, against it and have these sort of wonky arguments for it. And it reminds me of the same arguments you see in support of free trade or something, right? Where on paper, free trade benefits both uh, both of uh, most countries. But what you don't talk about is who it's benefiting. And of course, uh, if you get rid of rent control, property values are going to go up. Of course, it creates more wealth on paper in the community. The question is, who is that wealth going to, right? And it's going to property owners. Of course, properties are going to be more valuable if you can increase the rents unlimited. Um, one of the first calls I, uh, I got as a city councilor was in a, uh, a property in Cambridge, uh, 80 units where rents are going up 115% in one year. And of course, being able to do that makes that property more valuable for, for landlords. What it doesn't do uh, is uh, have stable communities there. Um, the whole idea of if you, you know, create a community, if you uh, make it a place that people want to live in, uh, you should be able to keep living there as the places become more valuable, as you know, cities have gone through this period of white flight, of disinvestment, of uh, not being valuable, but you had communities of color there the whole time that have sort of held things together. And now that they're becoming more valuable, they uh, have been renters and they aren't gonna be able to keep living there, right? That's not right. You should have as much right to keep living somewhere as a renter as you do as a homeowner. Um, there's a prop two and a half in Massachusetts. There's all of these policies, policies that make things stable for homeowners. Renters don't have that same stability without something like rent control. Yeah, having a owning a home is built in rent control. Basically, it's like having a mortgage, especially given a lot of the protection. But that's how it works: is they protect property. Um, what's on the agenda for Cambridge specifically with regards to that? Besides the big bill that we all went to the rally for, that you know you were speaking uh, in support of, um, that a, a lot of new city councils are speaking in support of. What is what is going? Is there anything going on in Cambridge specifically in terms of bills in terms of rent control? There are uh, things that a couple other municipalities have passed, like a, a real estate transfer fee that would tax homes worth more than a million dollars uh, and put that towards affordable housing. Uh, tenant right to purchase, where if your uh, landlord is selling your home, you and the other tenants would have the right to purchase it, have the first right. And if you can't you know, cobble together a million dollars overnight, yeah. <laughs> right, you could at least donate that right to a nonprofit and they could help buy it to keep it affordable. So things like that, uh, I'm hopeful. Uh, Cambridge can pass. And then came Cambridge specifically, there's this interesting affordable housing overlay proposal, um, which is a little wonky, but would allow buildings that are, uh, a little bit taller to be built if they're 100% affordable. Okay. Uh, and that gets to the thing that I was talking about before, where there are neighborhoods where the only thing you can build is a single family home. This would allow a four story building there if it was 100% affordable, if it was public housing or social housing. Uh, and it, you know, it's not going to solve things overnight, but it, because uh, so many things are exempted by the state, this is one of the things uh, we can do in our own power. Uh, and the folks who don't like it are the folks who own these uh, million dollar homes and single family neighborhoods. Um, so it's one thing we can do, and I hope it's you know, something we can pass in the next term as well. Staying with the transfer uh, tax fee or transfer fee tax, whatever the arrangement of the words is, <laughs> I know there's um, a bill going through the House that will make it so every city and town, similar to the rent control bill, you can set your own transfer fee. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Boston Globe editorial page basically said, it's a good idea, but you can't let city and towns make their own rates, which is BS. Uh, uh, they're just taking a pro-development take. So just speaking for Cambridge, if you had the power to, if the state said you can pass a transfer fee tax, what would you want to put that number at? Good question. I think in Cambridge, um, you... There, we have a like uh, residential tax exemption. There's are these cases of people who were 
uh, house rich but cash poor, say, like if they sold their home, moved to Florida, you know, they'd be a millionaire, but I mean, while they stay here, uh, they're on a fixed income. So it might be slightly different here than it is in a, a town where uh, with different property values, but I think there's still, if you have a home worth a million dollars and you're selling it, you should be contributing that, some of that value uh, into affordable housing. Um, because you didn't create all the value of that that home or that property, right? I worked at a, a land policy nonprofit before I came here, and uh, one of the big things that it started with is on a land value tax of like you know, your home, you add to it, create to it, but the so much of the value of the homes and why prices are skyrocketing is because in the past 15 years, Cambridge has become a really desirable place because Harvard and MIT are there, because there's all this booming biotech in Kendall Square. Um, but you, you know, as a homeowner, didn't create all that value by yourself, right? So you don't shouldn't should you know when you sell, be contributing some of that value back into affordable housing for to keep it an affordable place to live. And uh, you just brought up Harvard, so now uh, we have to talk about it. Uh, let's talk about the pilot program. Mm -hmm. um, as listeners would know, payment in lieu of taxation because Harvard, regardless of having forty billion dollars of an endowment, they are a nonprofit, and so don't have to make taxes. They have always pledged a very small amount. They've given even less each year. What can we do to change the pilot system? Yep. Uh, so both Harvard and MIT are in uh, on paper in these contracts that go for um, one is like a forty-year agreement, but we can and should renegotiate them. Um, they're are, as nonprofits. Um, they uh, by state law don't have to pay a property tax. Um, but there are all of these other levers that uh, Cambridge has uh, that Harvard depends on um, that to you know, negotiate that. Uh, their agreement right now goes up 3% uh, per year, something like that. Uh, we know their property tax values have gone up way more than that in that same period. Um, I don't think Harvard, MIT, anyone wants to, to get in a fight with the city of Cambridge, right? They depend on all of these things uh, to be able to, to market their universities to folks. They want to maintain that relationship. Um, and so the city council has a lot of leverage there that hasn't always been exerted that I think we can uh, uh, can put pressure on. So I think it's, um, I'm also, I'm not the chair, but I'm on the uh, Economic Development and University Relations Committee. So I'm interested in, in tying these, uh, in renegotiating these payments. The one really interesting thing is the fact that they can, uh, uh, opt out of payments based on services they're providing, like they provide a shuttle for their their students, yeah. right? They're able to count the value of that away from the payments, and that just isn't so right. Like pottery right? classes, I think we mentioned before, <laughs> free pottery yeah. classes. Boston is a little has a little better deal in terms of negotiating what is and isn't, but yeah, we need it to be much stronger than it is. Um, so I have one more question about this, and if you want to dodge it, you can. But here's my fantasy. My fantasy is we, and by that I mean just the public, the local city government, does not allow Cambridge to expand. You can, you are done buying properties. We will block every property you try to purchase until we renegotiate the pilot and you stick to it. Is that legal? There, I mean, there's a lot of stuff we can do with zoning. The thing is that, um, like, Harvard has been expanding into, uh, like, Austin Brighton for the same reason, too. Yeah. Because there are, the municipalities are so uh, small, it's sort of porous, that Harvard has options for other things to, to go into, and it's the same with commercial development. Uh, there's this linkage fee where right now uh, big commercial properties have to pay in, I think it's like $17 a square foot for every every building they're buying. But the thing that's often put to 
folks like me on the council is, well, if you raise this too high, they're going to go to Somerville. They're going to go to Boston. They're going to go to Chelsea. Um, uh-huh. Right? Which I, A, don't buy. There's a lot of things yeah. Cambridge has going for it. But also, cities should oh, stick together in this way, yes. right? We, should, we need to have this regional planning. We need to be uh, not uh, sort of letting us be played against each other because we're all in the same situation right now with not investing enough in transit, with not having enough affordable housing. If we do that, it's the, the city, I think. If we fight, we win. I think that's as much true at the city level. No, I love it. And I think that's been a vision for a lot of people on the left in Boston is Boston, Somerville, Cambridge, we all have to coordinate because it, there's no way that if Boston, Somerville, and Cambridge all tell Harvard or MIT we're not going to approve the development, mm-hmm. they're not going to Chelsea. They're not, no, gonna they're st- not going like, to Chelsea. They're going to stay on the T system. And it's, and we have them boxed And in they that. have the money to spend. They just... You know, like, it's not going to stop them from... Well, you know, you know what? We can just roam in the Chelsea City Council. We'll just keep going and yeah. form a massive bubble. Yeah. <laughs> $40 billion endowment. You can afford yeah. to do it. Yeah. Um, I just add, I think the other thing that I always, like, try to remember when I'm talking about Harvard and MIT is that, you know, there are... Uh, it's, like, a super small number of people when we're talking about these universities that are controlling the endowments, that are controlling right. the development decisions. Like, I know uh, grad students. I know cafeteria workers. All these folks are are struggling as much with Harvard and MIT as the rest of us are. It's not, you know, we're not against the universities there. We're not against every grad student or every cafeteria worker. We're against the sort of this top-down model of, of development, of organizing, of expansion. And uh, I definitely want to be respectful of your time, and I'd be kicking myself if we didn't talk about transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as you know this, um, Jeevan made national headlines actually before you've been sworn in with one of the proposals you've been backing, which is the free public transportation system. Uh, Huffington, Huffington Post ran a great article about you contrasting you with New York City, which is spending a quarter of a billion dollars on new police to um, to police their transit fares. And then they juxtapose that saying, but we have a newly elected social city council member in Cambridge who's saying, why don't we just make it free? So what is your vision for public transportation in Cambridge? I think, I mean, the final vision uh, is that public transit is a public good, like libraries, like public schools, that should be free. And and not the only one to say this, I think, uh, like Michelle Wu, you know, props in Boston, uh, called for it even before I did. But this is the, the direction we need to be going. And it's a way to, to also say, like, let's stop in the current direction, where we just had a fair increase of 6% in 2019 for a service that's uh, as dysfunctional, if not more, than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so across the MBTA system, this is a way we should be moving. There's different proposals about maybe we do buses first. Or, uh, in Cambridge, I think we also have a lot of uh, revenue that we can do it f- for ourselves if we're not doing it across the T-wide system. Our, we have a proposal out uh, on uh, our website uh, of how we could do it in Cambridge, um, doing a bulk purchase of Charlie cards. Um, and that about 50% of the population in Cambridge is already uh, uh, qualifies for reduced fares because they are students, because they are elderly, um, all these different ways. And that if we're you know purchasing uh, that many T cards, we would get a bulk t- discount also. And it would be expensive. We think it would be about you know 10% of the city's budget altogether. But let's move in that direction, right? Let's start with making it free for folks under 18, uh, for seniors, for students. Uh, and this is also. You know, we sort of framed it in this Green New Deal approach, too, um, where traffic is the worst it's ever been. The Globe had a great series uh, about how that has gotten in Boston uh, and Cambridge, uh, that by improving public transit, by making it free, we not only reduce car emissions, but uh, 
working class people, people of color depend on uh, to get to work, to get to doctor's appointments, to live their lives. So not only is it a way to fight climate change, but it's a way to improve equity, um, which I think is the, what's, what the Green New Deal is about for now. Um, absolutely. And this is already spreading, like Lawrence started to open up free buses and then that had a huge tectonic shift. All of a sudden, the Boston Globe was running articles of like, yeah, this makes sense. Why don't we just have more buses? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kansas City, I think, it just passed all the buses free. Yeah, it's by far not the only uh, place. And there's yeah, cities in Europe. But... And, you know, as you were saying, Michelle Wu has been championing this as well. So it already <laughs> has a lot of buzz around it. Have you, and, you know, I know you just started, have you started to have more like one-on-one -on -one conversations with city council members who, for them, that was such a left field but now it's back in the norm have you decided to kind of spread that we should try to get cambridge to do this first and be like the leader of this community with a free public transportation yeah i think we're um have talked with other folks in uh in boston about it um as chair of the transportation committee it's a big priority uh for us i think uh, the thing that makes it hard is that the mbta board is appointed at the state level um, and so right now with a uh, you know governor like charlie baker uh, so, right, it's uh, so much of it is just out of the hands of it. Um, Michelle Wu has a great proposal of having cities in the T area having seats on the, the board of the T, right? The T doesn't go out into the Western Massachusetts. Um, it's all these regions where it does go in should have more of a say. Um, it's going to be a big thing to, as we go into the budget for this year to look at how we can do it in Cambridge and then uh, as we work more with other municipalities and I have some meetings with um, Boston City Councilors in the coming week to uh, talk about how we can you know put the pressure on it uh, for the municipality where you know folks really do depend on it. Awesome. Um, I have a question. Go. So I remember Baldwin Courthouse and um, that was something that was up to the Cambridge City Council. People canvassed for it pretty hard, turned into something like affordable housing and not just office space or whatever. Um, it was like kind of a wedge issue in that neighborhood or whatever. Uh, and there was one swing vote on Cambridge City Council that ended up making this compromise. Is the council, the newly elected city council currently, would things be different? Yeah, if I hadn't been <laughs> Would you have been that vote? I would have been the swing vote on that and on the affordable housing overlay, right? That both yeah. of these things around affordable housing uh, and public land would have been different if we were on the term. Um, but that, you know, now that that vote has happened, uh, yeah. Moving forward, uh, and thankfully, you know, with some speaking, we did got twice as many units as there were. But all of these things with the organizing, you know, when we we started, when with Mike Connolly with all these folks knocking doors, I said, "Just can't get a better deal than twenty-four affordable housing units. It's not going to happen. So don't try." And after months of it, we didn't. Uh, it didn't go the way we wanted. It's not, you know, public land isn't going to remain in public hands, which was right. the goal there. Uh, but we do have twice as many affordable housing units as there were. Um, but in the, the long run, you know, we should be looking at these public assets uh, and staying in public for things like the community land trust. Um, there isn't a ton of public land in Cambridge. The parts we do, including some, you know, public parking lots, we should be looking at. Can we turn this into public assets? Okay. Um, definitely keep us informed on that because I would love to see a movement like that come up where there's actually a chance to, to win now. Do you know if there's anything on the... On the uh, I don't want to say chopping block, but like uh, about to be sold to developers or anything that people are willing to rally around right there now. Or the, now that the city council might be able to help. Yeah, there are a couple uh, properties that we can do more with. There's this Vale Court, which if you've been in Central Square, is is really near the T stop. It's uh, right. Yeah, just uh, just one block from the T there. 
uh, which the city took by eminent domain a few years ago and has just set vacant since then, sort of gotten tied up in court. I'm as urgently as we can. That should be you know, dense, affordable housing with you know a, a community garden next to it. That'd be well. awesome. Yeah, we're pretty pushing for it. I think the other thing uh, in Cambridge I want to see happen in the, in the next two years is start a com uh, community land trust done in Somerville. Um, in, a, in a CLT, uh, the, you, know, you can buy a house, build equity for it, but the land itself remains in the community. And so because of that, there's a requirement uh, that it remain affordable and that the price not increase more than you know 5% or so a year. And so you don't have these things like we're seeing in Cambridge where the price doubles every you know five to seven years or so. Uh, the largest community land trust in the U.S. is in uh, Burlington, Vermont. It's all started by Bernie, Bernie Sanders while they're there. And I think the second one is actually in Boston, the Dudley, uh, Dudley Square Neighbors Initiative. Okay. Uh, yeah, Somerville, uh, through DSA, city councilors there, Ben Ewan Campin and JT Scott helped get it started. We need one in Cambridge, so yeah. I'm anxious to see what we can do. That would be something you can make a move on now? Yeah, and okay. hopefully we can get a task force around it, get a cool. board set up, and yeah, start looking. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see something like that happen, too, especially given, you know, the compromise with uh, the city courthouse. It kind of opened my eyes to what ha what's been happening. Um, a couple other quick things uh not really related to housing but there was the facial recognition bill that was that your first vote it was well, yeah first the, vote happened on monday yeah yeah so, yeah good job <laughs> so far so good um, um i guess that was uh to ban facial recognition software in cambridge used by the cambridge police department or the state yeah yeah cambridge police um uh cambridge has now passed it on with a, a couple other municipalities mm -hmm. like somerville um but the yeah, it's the idea. Not that this was like rampant in Cambridge right now, although you know we have seen plenty of uses of it in, in China, and it's been demoed by places in Massachusetts. Yeah, it's just wildly ineffective, especially uh, for people of color. You know, a way is more likely to misidentify uh, a black person than is a white person. Is more likely to read a black person. There's some applications where it, it tries to guess what you're feeling based on your expression. Yeah, and, oh, and, actually there was a Cambridge startup that developed some of that software. It's <laughs> just incredibly. So yeah. Yeah, we'll read uh, uh, black folks' faces as hostile like while they're smiling. Right? It was just completely uh, not in inappropriate. And I think the ACLU makes a good point of even if you did have all the, the kinks messed out, it's it's the same thing as having a barcode on your face, right? No matter where you go at any time, you know, even if you think you know, this your police department is great in the, the wrong hands it you know this technology could be used to monitor protests could be monitored and it's all going into a database which is probably insecure absolutely and so i appreciate your vote on that i appreciate cambridge um you know making the preemptive step to uh ban facial recognition software i think that'd be a huge problem in the future and i would have to walk around with insane clown pops and face paint <laughs> on my face anytime i entered <laughs> the boundaries of cambridge um so I know. So that was your first vote. What, what else has come in, come up this week? Um, there was a, a vote on extending this uh, tree protection moratorium. Um, we're losing 11 acres of trees right now per year in Cambridge, and uh, there's a big study on it. Still figuring out, like if it's small properties, people just you know going out on the yard and adding a deck and cutting it down, or if it is really some of the larger developments in Cambridge. Um, but the city passed the moratorium last year um, to halt uh, tree cutting. Uh, with exemptions for uh, affordable housing and things, but it's set to expire in March. Uh, there was a vote uh, uh, to extend it. I think it will uh, get it, end up getting extended. There was a weird uh, vote around uh, around whether it should be sent to committee or not. Uh, Quinton Zondervan and I were the two counselors originally. Uh, 
Uh, so let's vote on it. Let's nice. Vote it, it's um, but yeah, I think that's a big one. Uh, you know, I think preparing for climate change is the other big priority for us in Cambridge. Of uh, already seeing flooding on days where it's rain, uh, rain, seeing temperatures rising, especially in working more working class neighborhoods that have fewer trees. That you know, as much as we can do to sort of reduce the heat island effect, um, and trees are a part of that. And have you been working closely with Quentin on all that stuff? I know that Sunrise and both of you yeah. on for that. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. I think they're um, on the. He's going to be chair of the Health and Environment Committee, while I'm chair of the. Cool. Yeah, it'll be good to see you work together, um, especially because it's not like Cambridge doesn't have the money. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the big issue that I see in Cambridge overall is that uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, Cambridge was a totally different space where Kendall Square was vacant and the whole priority of the council and the government was how do we get more uh, commercial development, economic activity, just stuff going on there. It's, Cambridge is just in a wildly different position. If you, even if you ever thought it was good to just, you know, turn things over to commercial activity at one point, uh, that we are not at that uh, point anymore where the big issues are affordable housing, their transit, they're preparing for, for climate change. And that you know, things have been working pretty well if you're uh, a property owner, if you're a taxpayer, taxes, commercial or property taxes are pretty low in Cambridge compared to other places. Those aren't the, the issues anymore. Um, we have lots of, you know, Kendall Square is booming right now. Yeah. The issues are, uh, how are you, you know, getting around uh, in Cambridge? How are you afford affording to live in Cambridge? So I, I, I know you have to leave, and we've already held you a little bit over the time that we said. I, I have a uh, closing question, unless obviously Big Boss gets to decide when you leave. So she, she, she calls the show here. But um, a lot of what we, and that I mean you and me, talked about in a part of your platform was about how you wanted to use the office to not stop your role as an organizer, but to help make you a better organizer. And this is definitely a conversation that we're going to continue to have uh, with you. And by that, I say we like DSA and kind of like the left groups. But how do you see kind of like the people supporting you with this effort? How do you see your role as now a city council member? And you kind of talk about how much have you internalized that? Like, do you feel different? The fact that now you are a politician, you are part of the system. And how do you see you're going to do it differently than what most politicians would do? Yeah, it's the big uh, question I wear and, you know, wanted to run to keep uh, lifting up these movements, I think. Um, and that uh, uh, folks that come from these organizing movements have done just a lot more effective when you think of Bernie Sanders. Um, in Cambridge, one of the things Shane and I have talked about, um, my council aide Shane Willie is sitting right next to me. Shout out, Shane. Yeah. Shout out, Shane. <laughs> is having a, a tenant organizing summit sometime in the next year that uh, there has been this history in Cambridge of, you know, sort of radical tenant organizing back when we had rent control, that was the fight, you know, all the time and, and Cambridge was keeping that, but that it's, as folks have gotten priced out, it's gotten harder to keep that going. We want to have a, an organizing summit for renters, you know, the vast majority of the population in Cambridge um, and get more tenant organizing going in the, the places where we live. Uh, and then also, you know, I've, gone to DSA meetings since getting elected, housing working group meetings, uh, general meetings. Uh, I met with someone from Sunrise earlier this week to uh, as much, you know, be a voice for them in the council as uh, sort of, you know, just saying, you know, these are our priorities. Can you turn people out to them? Uh, making sure that it's, it's going the other way. And how can we be lifting up your priorities with the seat in the council? Um, of that, um, just the only way that we're going to get these done is in these movements. I think there's so much in the sort of electoral politics, we think 
we'll just get a couple smart people elected. They'll take things from there. We can stop worrying about things. And that's not the model we can have anymore, right? where we uh, have to get folks elected. We have to keep having them be part of these movements if we're going to uh, get change done. So I take it you're not taking money from developers? <laughs> I am not. Have not. Yeah. It'd be awesome if right now you're just like, well, you know, I said I wouldn't, but now, <laughs> goddammit, Jamin, it's here. I'm just ready to But the other, I mean, the way, only way that that stays viable is if we have another option. I'm really interested to see what we can do with public election financing or things in Cambridge. Oh, yeah. Right? And in New York, they have, if you make a, a donation of $100, uh, the democracy you know, fund will match it eight to one. Uh, Cambridge does, that matches zero to one, right? There's all these other interesting models out there that Cambridge doesn't have right now. I'm really just because I have you talking about it, can you talk about uh, Seattle's model? Because this is my favorite. Yep. Yeah, they have a, uh, a, a democracy voucher system, which was designed uh, by a Harvard professor, right? Even though Cambridge doesn't have anything. Uh, where they give everyone, uh, every voter in Seattle, basically $100 in Monopoly money. Uh, I think they're called democracy vouchers um, that they can donate to any candidate they want. Um, and it just changes the game in terms of who they're able to run. There was a, a DSA candidate out there, Sean Scott, who just maxed out uh, on them. But you know, right now, anybody can vote. Anybody can have a say in democracy. But if you can't you know, donate, if you can't, in Cambridge, you can donate up to $1,000. And that changes the ball game in terms of who's able to run. I uh, don't know a lot of people who can write $1,000 checks. But if you can get folks to, to donate $25 of a democracy voucher, not only does that make it easier for me to run, there's all of these folks who, you know, are working two jobs, who can't do call time from six to nine, uh, calling the people they know from their golf club or from, you know, from law school uh, that are then able to run. And it changes the shape of what democracy is like. And my favorite part about that is how, like, when people receive, um, I just had this really horrible flight experience, and, like, I got a $50 voucher. So now I feel like if I don't use it, I'm going to lose $50. Mm -hmm. So I love, because, and I think they've shown it, increases voter turnout. Mm -hmm. Because when you tell people you have $100 to go spend on a candidate, if you don't spend it, you lose it. It almost creates an incentive of, oh, I'm going to, like, spend 10 minutes of my day, look up the candidates. I'm going to now I'll make sure they get this money. And now it increases your investment in that candidate, increases your investment in voting itself. Mm -hmm. So Seattle's my favorite model. If you can get that done in Cambridge, oh my God. That'd be amazing. It would be really exciting. I'm really excited to see what we can do. I think there's support for it on the council. There's just got to figure out how to get it done. It's like all of these things where, you know, there are priorities and unless you have someone pushing for it, it's not going to happen. Hoping we can push for it. I'm excited for Cambridge. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, no, I was going to say, I mean, thank you so much for coming on. Um, you know, um, I've considered you a close friend. And I think one of the first times um, that you announced you're going to run, we were in your kitchen talking about it. And I'm just like, yeah, so if you betray us, like, it ends the electoral cycle. Just because, like, you're a great person and we all believe in you as a candidate and now as a city council member. So Yeah, we'll be watching you. Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> We'll, we'll be watching you. <laughs> I think that's the, the biggest thing that I am concerned about. I got to meet uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez super briefly when she was in Cambridge at one point. And she said the biggest thing she was worried about was not that, you know, she wasn't going to be able to get stuff done or that, you know, people were going to shut her down. It's that the movements that helped elect her would then, you know, just take a break or focus on something else. And that, you know, the only way she knew she was going to get stuff done is if these movements stayed engaged. So, yeah, I hope people will hold me accountable and help me get stuff done. So that's awesome. That's what we're here for. Um, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great. Um, let's have you back on again. And when some more stuff gets done, I would love to keep 
updated about what's happening in Cambridge now that we have somebody on the council that's working for us. I think it's so much for having me. Just having a show that gets out and things about uh, renters and priorities, too, because it's not, you know, what you always hear in the sort of game coverage. And I thank you, Shane. I think this is all your brainchild. So thank props you, Shane. to Shane. You picked a great age, even. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely appreciate it. I know that you have to go. So we're going to take a quick break. We got to get some photos. And then we'll be back with, I don't know, whatever we feel like. We'll probably talk some more about rent control. And we might go into national politics just to change it up because it's a Wednesday, Wednesday episode. Maybe open up the phone line. So if yeah. anyone no wants to call in again and debate me on national politics, let's have it that. out. We could do that. Ron um, Weber, what's up? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know who's calling. But yeah, Jeevan, thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll be back. We'll be back.